the humbleness of that role of just holding the, and he's sipping the cup before the emperor or empress does because if there's poison in it, he's supposed to die first. But he is actually the head of security. In the throne room of God in heaven, there is that holy pavement that you need divine permission to step onto. And he has granted that to us. We have a welcome with God. I would dare say that when Jesus taught the apostles, taught, well, there are hundreds of, if not thousands of people there on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be the apostles along with the rest of you. Father? Father? That word is used in reference to God only half a dozen times in the entire Old Testament, first three quarters of our Bible. Why? Because the Jews only use that term. God calls himself their father in Deuteronomy 32. I am your father, you rebellious people. I fathered you, you rebellious people. And the rest of the time you find it, like four or five times in the rest of the Old Testament, They only cry out to him as their father when they have blown it so bad they got nothing else to appeal to. It is a desperate cry. And yet Jesus taught us to pray our father. It ought to be the first thing because when he sent his son to the cross, Christ paid sin's penalty for us so that we could receive that glad welcoming embrace from him. That glad, welcoming embrace. How much evidence is there presented in the gospel accounts to the reality of who Jesus is? He is God become flesh. Even in his birth, even in his birth, (laughs) angels came and spoke to the shepherds. By the way, those shepherds were probably the shepherds of the temple flock. They were the shepherds of the flock from which the Passover lambs came. And they came to the stable cave in Bethlehem to worship Jesus. You had already had God speaking to Joseph, God speaking to Mary. You already had John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb when Mary walks into the house. You've got miracle upon miracle. Jesus did hundreds or thousands of miracles, no lack of evidence. And yet, just as we read in the passage from the book of Numbers, these people had no lack of evidence that their God was unrestrained, immeasurable in his power, immeasurable in his loyalty to them. He's keeping his promise to Abraham made 400 years before in bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land. They had seen the 10 plagues. They'd walked between the walls of water. The manna had already come. They'd been in... No lack of evidence, but their hearts were hard. And ladies and gentlemen, it is exactly the same today. 
People do not reject the gospel because of there, is, there being a lack of evidence. There are honest questions, but when you've answered the honest questions, then what's the issue? As Paul lays it out in Romans chapter 1, it's really immorality. They suppress the truth. Romans chapter 1, Paul speaking of the human race. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They turn their back on it. They push it away. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Would you keep an eye on what that young man is doing with the... Okay. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest to them. They know he is the holy God and they don't want to be confronted with that. So they turn their back, they suppress, they push it down, they attack the truth tellers. And that's what we are finding in 2 Timothy. As Paul is writing from a Roman dungeon, this is the last letter that we have from Paul's pen. He is writing to his favored son, not literal son, but someone whom he fathered. Of all those whom Paul discipled, Paul speaks of Timothy as his son. His grandmother Lois was a Jewish woman, authentic follower of the true and living God. His mother Eunice, a Jewish woman, authentic follower of the true and living God. When Paul came to the region where they lived, they were active in the church. And Timothy, the son of Eunice, was active. He was already an active disciple with a good reputation. And Paul took him under his wing and fathered him because his Greek pagan father had not done the job. And so Paul calls him my son, Timothy. I fathered you. There's a very strong attachment here. And as we began this series a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the call, the call what? Don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Yes, the Romans say he died on a cross. We know he came out of that tomb. We know he arose into heaven. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. How much authority does Nero really have? None. It's all for show that God actually granted Nero the authority Nero is exercising, and it redounded to God's glory. God loves causing his enemy to play into his hand. (laughs) He's constantly inciting Lucifer to overdo it and create a testimony for God. Last week, we looked at the next major passage, the first half of chapter 2, and the call there is endurance, endurance, endurance. Don't be ashamed, endure, endure. Paul is writing from a Roman dungeon. He is enduring what he doesn't have to. All he has to do is deny Jesus. All he has to do is fall down and worship Nero. He's going to tell us in the last chapter, I stood before Nero, and I explained fully the truth to Nero. Paul could have walked out of there with no chains. All he had to do was give Nero what he wanted, worship. And Paul said, no. 
He endured, he endured, he endured. He's going to be beheaded. And as his head falls into the basket, Jesus is taking him in his arms. We have all kinds of motivation to endure, endure, endure. You will never catch me running a marathon. (laughs) But the people who do run marathons, what do they have their eyes fixed on? The tape at the end of the race. They're going to press through the tape. And that is what Paul has said to Timothy. You keep going. You keep going. You keep going. Even when you've got the pain in your side, you keep going. You keep going. You keep going. You endure. And when you've crossed the finish line, you will stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, which is the term Paul uses in in 2 Corinthians. The Bema seat was that platform that the Judges at the Corinthian games sat on when they passed out the rewards to the winners. We will stand before the Bema seat of Jesus, but it is a judgment not to pass out punishment, but to pass out rewards. If you walk an authentic, loyal walk with Jesus, you will step into kingdom glory. You can't even imagine. And it won't be one of those ridiculous oak leaf clusters like they got. (laughs) that would wither. It will be something that will never wither. Paul picks up the... Let me begin actually reading. I put in the, script, in the bulletin, beginning in verse 14. I'm actually going to back up to give us a running start. Paul is quoting... I'm going to back up to verse 11 because Paul is quoting a poem or the words of a hymn that were sung in the congregation. Words familiar to Timothy. If we died with him, Christ, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And by the way, Paul in both 1 and 2 Corinthians is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He only uses that expression in 2 Corinthians, but he talks about it twice And he says there will be some Christians, authentic Christians, who will stand before Jesus at the Bema seat, and they will be saved. Yet so is through fire. All of their works will be burned up when Jesus turns his fiery gaze on their works. There will be nothing there of value to reward. They will be saved. They will be welcomed into the kingdom, but the glory they could have experienced the extra Glory above the basic package will not be theirs. And believe me, it will have been worth it. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them, those whom you are discipling, of these things. That's why I had to read the context. Remind them of these things. I've just given you the basic format of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to have a relationship with God, quoting this hymn sung in our congregations. 
Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness." and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, (laughs) and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonor, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified, set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. We read the passage number 16. Korah, the man who led the Levites, the priestly tribe, against Aaron and Moses, also Levites. How dare you? Take upon yourself the right to the leadership of this tribe. And Moses and Aaron are... What? (laughs) What was Moses' first reaction when he walked over to this burning bush that was burning, 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 but not burning up? And God said, after his 40 years of being a shepherd, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest professions, I'm sending you to Egypt. I'm going to use you as my instrument to bring deliverance to the people. Lord, you better find somebody else. You don't, I mean, me? You can't be serious. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Moses and Aaron did not elevate themselves. They were elevated by God. They were dead. (laughs) They argued with God. (laughs) And yet here were Korah 
And what evidence did Korah and his fellow Levites have? They had all the plagues in Egypt. They had walking between the walls of water at the Red Sea. This is two years in the wilderness. The man has been coming six days a week. The water's been following them in the wilderness from where Moses struck the rock. What evidence do they lack? None. But just as Paul is describing here, there are people that don't care what the evidence says. They know what they want. And how dare you stand between me and what I want? I don't care if you've been appointed by God. Let's run. <laughs> and what is it that that wasn't just a one-off with that generation. Every generation has that kind of temperament built into it. And the only thing that breaks it is the call of God. Just as God called Moses against his own advice, <laughs> against his Moses' own inclination, I'm calling you because I am the qualifier. But every generation has those who fight against what God has set in place. What is the key word in humility, in humility, in humility, in humility? Don't take on yourself what God has not called you to and equipped you for. Don't do it. Remind them of the things from this hymn that I quoted to you. Charging them before the Lord, don't be in conflict with one another. It is all about ego. What is the formula Paul points Timothy to, points us to as we read over Timothy's shoulder? It is be people of the word. Be people of the word. Examine your own thoughts against what God says. Hold yourself accountable. Hold those who are sharing with you. Hold those who are teaching you up to the Word of God. Anybody who is himself a humble teacher, a humble disciple, will not be offended by that at all. They will be delighted. And in fact, if you've can find something where I'm getting it wrong, please let me know. It is humility. That isn't the natural human temperament, but it is the Holy Spirit-induced temperament. Be humble. And he points to two men. He names two men. Hymenaeus and Philetus are men, two men whose names are known around the world <laughs> for a bad reason. Their message will spread like cancer. Those who, those who are babblers, those who are not rightly dividing the word of truth, shun them. 
Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past. Oh, my word, how easily disproven is that? And they overthrow the faith of some. And indeed, even today, 20th, this is 21st century now, yes, 21st century world, there are still men and women in the church who by their vain babblings overthrow the faith of some. And in a great house, in a mansion, in a, the house of a renowned person, there are vessels that are useful to the master. You know, the master of the house, you don't, take dirty, you don't put dirty dishes in front of this guy. They don't have to be all gold and silver. They can be just simple pottery, but they better be clean. They better be clean, or they're not fit for the use of the master. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. And in God's house, folks, there are people who, if you look at them as dishes, things useful to them, some of them actually Jesus can use in his own hand. Others you wouldn't, uh uh-uh, no, no. They need cleansing. They need cleansing. Take them to the sink. Cleanse them. Take yourself to the sink. Cleanse yourself. Go bathe. Talking about spiritually. (laughs) Well, okay, Stephen. We'll We'll allow you to do both. Okay. If anyone cleanses himself from things that bring dishonor or degradation to themselves, cleanse yourself from... All you have to do, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, say the same thing about our sins that God says about them. Don't play it down. Oh, Lord, I made kind of a mistake. No, call it what it is. Call it what he calls it. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is just when he does it. What gives God, what gives the holy God, how can he possibly be just to just forgive me? Because Jesus paid the penalty for it on the cross. That gives his Father complete freedom to forgive us. And in 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, these things I write to you that you might not sin. Good advice. And if anyone sins, we, John is including himself, have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, even Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus paid sin's penalty for everyone so that his Holy Father would have perfect freedom to forgive anyone who simply asks. And it works every time. But flee youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Lord, please bring authentic righteousness, strong character into my life. 
that I might be a person who walks by faith and not by sight, that I might love, that is, that I might be a servant of other people, and peace, the peace that belongs to those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Before this world, nothing makes a testimony like a person being loyal to Jesus who is being attacked, who's being persecuted, who stands there with the quiet smile on their face. They have the peace that comes from God, and the world cannot rob it of them. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that, it ge- that they generate, generate strife. There's some conversations you just need to step away from. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. What is the temperament that we are to exhibit? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Able to teach. You better know your stuff. Patient. Don't insist that somebody, that something you took a couple years to get your mind and heart wrapped around, they have to do it in five minutes. No, be patient. Be patient. Gentle, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, being scared to death that you could make the same kind of mistake you're, you're trying to step in and resolve. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. We prayed earlier for a couple ladies that the lady speaking to Faith said, as Faith had her conversation with this gal, please pray for my two friends. What was the prayer? That God would grant them repentance. And he's more eager to grant the repentance than people are to receive it. He is much more eager if God perhaps would grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses, that was exactly the prayer request, and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And ultimately, his will is our destruction. Did you know that Satan hates human beings? Satan hates... Even the people who are Satan worshipers... They are so insane. They're worshiping Lucifer, and Lucifer can't wait for them to join him in the lake of fire. Satan hates his worshipers. And they don't think that's the case. No, he hates them. We need to be that instrument in God's hands, that weapon in God's hands, speaking the truth in humility, one beggar sharing with another beggar, in humility sharing the deliverance message. Jesus is the Redeemer. Join me. Join me, we are to say, in this work of Jesus that you may be a a full beneficiary.